the whole work yourself to death culture is stupid. If you're dead, you can't work on your project. No one's going to care. <laughs> Nicholas Carey, the visionary behind the $14 billion blockchain.com revolution. From revolutionizing digital payments to shaping the future of decentralized finance. I think one of the most controversial ideas in the world is that we can build a better form of money. When you start a business, you already have pretty much all odds stacked against you. What does it take to not only start, but succeed against all odds? The only way to know whether or not your idea is going to work is... There's no such thing as a school of entrepreneurship. Most people will never start a company, you know, too much work, too much risk, etc. If you're someone that is very prone to extraordinary anxiety or stress, there's so many things that are going to happen that you're not going to be prepared for. Entrepreneurship is going to be particularly taxing for you. Much of an impact does your entrepreneur life have on your mental health? It took me a long time to develop a healthy relationship with my work. It was completely all-consuming, and that has consequences. On a personal level, I've had huge challenges um, sleeping. I have a sleeping condition that prevents me from basically resting. So I had a sleep study done, and uh, I was able to resolve this issue on a health perspective. And some of the things that I've done over the past that helped me a lot are... Nick, someone would define you as a young, successful, yet pretty laid-back entrepreneur. So why don't we start with some context about your background? What are the key turning points in your life that define who you are today? One of the first questions I ask uh, almost everyone that we bring on board at Blockchain.com, but it's also an icebreaker, is how did you earn your first buck? And I'd actually pose a question to you at the beginning of this interview for you to share with the audience. How did you earn your first dollar, pound, or euro uh, quickly? So I went on a construction field in Switzerland because I wanted to buy DJ decks because I wanted to become a DJ. And in Switzerland, actually working on the construction fields when you're 14 years old is actually well-paid. So it's a, it's a tough job, but it's well-paid. So that's what I did. Nice. All right. So proof of work. Um, I get it. So what happens is that everyone starts off as an entrepreneur, whether it's mowing lawns or setting up a lemonade stand or working on a construction site or a field or a farm or whatever it is. And uh, my story is not that dissimilar. Um, one of the first ways I learned about the importance of money was by uh, finding clams in the ocean and then selling those uh, to my neighbors in bundles. And uh, I wanted a music boombox, which was before uh, DJ sets were really popular. This was an even earlier way of listening to, to tunes and music. And so um, I worked all summer long finding slams out of the ocean, selling them to my neighbors, and then earning enough income uh, to basically set my set up my first boombox. And um, that sort of experience taught me a little bit about everything from inventory management to pricing to customer service. And uh, that was sort of a very formidable uh, early experience in learning a little bit about how to create a business. And so the spirit of entrepreneurship is very much alive uh, in a lot of people. And that's how it kind of got um, sparked in my journey. Uh, after that, um, in high school, uh, I started building websites with one of my best friends. And this is when we learned about um, user experience design, doing things like setting up uh, e-commerce platforms. Um, we built some custom uh, software to do things like sending messages within a corporate intranet. So sort of early types of tools that would later go on to be turned into SaaS products and more. And then uh, after university, um, I briefly became a teacher in India, working um, with young adults, teaching computer science and creative writing. And then I got sort of my real foray into uh, tech entrepreneurship um, as one of the early partners of Pipeline CRM, uh, which was a customer relationship management software. So I was a second uh, teammate on that group um, as a paid uh, employee, and I had to do all kinds of different things from building desks to doing sales uh, to doing mock-ups for product designs to customers to negotiating with vendors and, and much more. And so that was like a crash course in learning a lot about how to build the componentry of a company. And at the same time, there were all these new tools coming out that made it easier and faster to launch web uh, businesses. And so what happens ultimately in people's careers is a lot of the things that make you ready uh, for the next stage are built on all the things that you've learned about in your uh, time so far. And so um, in 2011, I learned about uh, the cryptocurrency called Bitcoin. I'm fascinated by the intersection of money and politics uh, and how to uh, help build a better financial future for everybody. And the financial system at the time was still sort of uh, dealing with all of these uh, big questions about what had happened in 2008. How could this type of thing be prevented? Why were the incentives so poorly aligned? 
was anyone going to be held accountable? And could we build a better, more resilient, uh, you know, financial system for the future? And uh, I think uh, Satoshi came around at just the right moment to sort of inspire this conversation and provide an alternative uh, that has ultimately now been worked on by thousands and thousands of people all over the world. So um, those sort of moments across my career uh, and the opportunities I've had made me sort of ready to always sort of take on the next step. And uh, you sort of build up almost like a seashell does calcification uh, to grow and get bigger. And that's sort of true, um, at least in my experience in my career. So then in 2013, I um, started meaningfully working on blockchain.com. And since then, um, over a decade working in the cryptocurrency industry. So when you start a business, you already have pretty much all odds stacked against you. And when you start a company in the very early innings of a new trend, such as crypto in the early 2010s, 2013, it's even more complicated. So, so what does it take to not only start, but succeed against all odds? So um, entrepreneurship is um, a, a path that a lot of people choose not to take. They think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult and that they're likely to fail. Um, and uh, and a lot of the reasons why people don't go down that path is they don't have role models or they're lacking um, maybe mentors and advisors to coach them through that path. There's no such thing in the, in the real world as a school of entrepreneurship. You can't go get a degree in that. Uh, and if there are degrees out there, I assure you that is a waste of time and money. The only way to know whether or not um, your idea is going to work is if you go out and try. And uh, the truth of that is everyone can get better at things as long as they practice. Um, Kevin, if you want to become a figure skater, uh, you might be terrible at that today, but if you go out and practice every single day for the next year, two, three years, you'll get much better at it. And the truth is uh, that you can get better at building businesses too. And so when you start out, um, it may be scary. Uh, you're going to not know all the answers to many things, but there are a few things that are going to probably help you along the way. And one is to find some people you can talk to um, about uh, your business idea. You should get very candid feedback about what's smart and what's uh, not going to work about that. You should be open-minded and listen, but ultimately it's your customers that are going to give you the best feedback. You need to build something that people find useful and that they're willing to pay you for. That's the business model. And once you find something that works, then you can expand on that idea. You can invest more in it. Um, you can grow your market share. And it can be anything from starting off really small uh, with an idea to you know to uh, maybe build a construction company in Switzerland or uh, a seafood business on, a, on the East Coast or a technology company um, that has grand ambitions. And a lot of the things that are important are really what are you trying to achieve with building a business? Is it that you want to have um, a lot of clients and customers and a huge amount of responsibility? Or are you trying to earn a little extra incremental income? Um, is it a hobby activity uh, that helps you basically pay for things that you love doing in the, in the uh, you know, on the side? So a lot of different ways to approach uh, going into the business world and you just need to do one that makes sense for, for what you want to achieve. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, the reason why most people will never start a company, you know, too much work, too much risk, et cetera. And then you have these people who just take the leap and start. So what are the biggest risks that founders don't think about when they start a company? So what are the biggest uh, things and risks that founders don't think about? Um, I think... You know, speaking from personal experience, uh, there's so many things that are going to happen uh, that you're not going to be prepared for um, and that you're going to have to adapt to. And uh, if you're someone that uh, is very prone to extraordinary uh, anxiety or stress, uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is going to be particularly taxing for you because there's all kinds of new things that are going to happen. Now, Certain amounts of stress are super important. Uh, they're going to motivate you to achieve better results, uh, to address the right prioritized problem. But then you've got that balance between becoming so overwhelmed by the aggravation, the stress, uh, what seems like an impossible task that uh, you fail to achieve it because um, you just uh, get so much in your head. So part of the mindset that sort of helps navigate that is to approach it from a learning perspective. You shouldn't see all the problems in the world as being things that are personally attacking you. These problems are just opportunities that are presenting themselves for you to learn about, um, overcome. And so these things are being presented to you almost as gifts, despite how much that uh, they may suck at the time or how much it may be uh, an adversary to you. Um, you need to sort of think about them as 
ways to learn. And then you put those things behind you. And then you've got that in your uh, vocabulary and in your, your library of lessons uh, mm. to apply the next thing that looks like that. You'll see, you, you'll listen to historians talk a lot about how you know, grand themes of, of history, you know, history doesn't exactly repeat, but it rhymes. And in the same is true in the business world. If you've accumulated lessons, um, you can use those learnings to approach uh, similar problems um, and avoid exactly the same mistakes. And so uh, a lot of that comes down to just appreciating the journey um, and then taking stock of those lessons as they happen. There are many ways of doing that. You can journal, uh, you can podcast, um, you can uh, you know tell stories to your friends and make sure that they're holding you accountable to the challenges you're experiencing. Do you have some examples of uh, the most spectacular setbacks or learnings, that we, as you would call them, that you guys experienced early on at blockchain.com? So it's a it's old history now, um, but uh, very early on in blockchain.com's uh, experience, um, we had built the first sort of block explorer. It's made it possible for people to look at what was happening on the Bitcoin network at the time. We created all these charts, and it was a very popular way to basically get a sense for how much economic either was happening were people really adopting uh, this new technology? And one of the first things we did uh, to help accelerate that was build a wallet. And uh, it was our view that wallets were going to make uh, or break the sort of crypto space, and they had to get a lot easier to use. So we went down the path of building a non-custodial wallet and also building a mobile version of that. And at the time, um, you, know, you really needed to have approval from the App Store, specifically Apple and Android, in order to publish your product. And... Uh, Apple had a tolerant policy uh, at the beginning, in the very early stages, while this stuff was extremely nascent and there were just a few users in the world. And then crypto started to gain some mainstream adoption and maybe a few hundred thousand people were starting to use it. And I use mainstream as in mainstream nerds, not probably mainstream adopters <laughs> as we have today. Um, and then um, all of a sudden, uh, Apple removed all of the apps from the store. And uh, this was a huge challenge in a very frightening moment for the company because uh, we really needed access to the uh, Apple App Store in order to grow our audience um, and uh, have people recommend us. And so uh, there was, and this wasn't a unique challenge specifically to our company. There were other crypto companies that were also caught up um, in this uh, challenge. But at the time, it seemed almost insurmountable. How could a tiny little startup um, possibly persuade the largest uh, you know, tech platform and company in the world uh, to take them seriously, uh, to listen to their concerns about how to build resilient software um, and to address the concerns they had about cryptocurrency. They had sort of a blanket ban and a policy against crypto apps for a brief period of time. Fortunately, they reversed that decision, but for a period of time there, it was not clear that would be the case. And so I would probably say that was one of the more stressful uh, early episodes, especially when a company is young and fragile. You know, you, you need a lot of things to go well um, in order to break yeah. through um, the early challenges. And so that would probably describe that one as one of the episodes. Have you ever been, I mean, would you say that that moment we were almost on the brink of failure in terms of company or have you ever been in that situation? And if yes, how did you, how did you manage to survive and thrive? And across my career, there have certainly been moments where uh, you, you, you don't know uh, long-term whether or not something is going to work out. Um, and uh, there was an example in my previous business where we had one customer that was like 50% of all the revenue for the company. This was not a blockchain company, a previous business, but it's illustrative of this challenge where you're so excited to have a really big client. It's like your first big deal and they're bringing in all this revenue, but then you have what's called revenue concentration risk. And that client can bully you around. They can ask for better terms. They can say they want a specific feature designed. Etc. And then instead of serving everybody equally, you sort of unfairly sort of biased towards serving one customer. And then if that client decides to leave or do the same thing with a different vendor and switch, you have so much baggage to deal with. One, you've lost your biggest client. Two, they left you with a product that's different and was sort of only sort of purposeful for them for a temporary period of time. So all these weird challenges that um, you kind of need to navigate, you need to stand up for your vision, for your product. Um, and the same has been true uh, at blockchain.com, but sort of for different reasons. There's sort of a famous cycle in crypto, which is there's eras of bull runs and then bear markets. Um, in my 10-year history uh, working in this space, I've seen over seven eras where the price of crypto dropped by over 80%. And that was especially true in the early years. That's why having built previous businesses and having been kind of very challenged already before is already certainly like a huge advantage because you already built uh, the necessary resilience to go through this crazy market as a builder. 
That's correct. What, what are your biggest learnings in these 10 plus years of entrepreneurship? <laughs> well, I think I've been an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. Uh, so a little bit more than that. Um, <laughs> you know, the big lessons are uh, ultimately, I think entrepreneurship is such an exciting and powerful vehicle for changing and improving um, the state of the world and society. And so, you know, if you're born um, in the wrong postal code or zip code or due to the circumstances of your birth, there's a completely different set of opportunities in the world for people out there. And ultimately, we need a lot more entrepreneurs building services and goods and uh, challenging the status quo. Um, and uh, so I really would encourage people to explore seeking out entrepreneurship as a path for themselves, um, if it makes sense. And uh, there are certain things that will help with that. Uh, there are a lot of service providers uh, that do everything from um, entrepreneurship coaches to mentorship, um, to pitch contests, uh, to teaching people how to build decks for investment and more. And you can start to build up your own capabilities in practicing entrepreneurship without having to risk everything. And uh, I'd highly encourage that. Uh, ultimately, th the biggest lessons I think I've learned are to keep an optimistic and open mindset about um, the whole journey itself. And again, if you... If you treat it as uh, the obstacles are the path um, and you see that the challenges in the world are being sort of presented to you as opportunities, um, then you can kind of move from one problem to the next and get better at solving bigger and bigger problems. And uh, if you do that, then you solve enough problems and uh, you can ultimately build um, a resilient, successful, sustainable business. And this is true, by the way, for small business owners to medium-sized business owners to ones doing really, really big businesses. And uh, that's why... Business owners and, and entrepreneurs can relate to each other, regardless whether they've built a, a unicorn business or uh, if they're a small pizza shop owner. The problems are, are really very similar. Um, it's just that the scale and scope um, of those problems just differs a little bit. Great. So talking about scale, you, you've raised about $500 million so far. So what happens in a founder's or co-founder's mind when you raise so much money? Good question. So Blockchain has been very fortunate to have been uh, capitalized by some of the greatest partners um, in both the venture and institutional uh, investor space, meaning that we've raised money um, from venture capital firms, from private equity firms, uh, from crossover institutional investors, uh, and, and many other people. And um, when you raise money, you're ultimately uh, bringing down capital and resources to, to execute on ideas that you've shared with your uh, potential shareholders. And what we're trying to do here with that money is grow the scope of the business's opportunity set, return some of that investment capital back to those shareholders in the long run. And so when, what, you, what happens is it basically just grows your responsibility envelope. And um, in our space, we really see a huge opportunity uh, being presented uh, to cryptocurrency specifically, but also especially blockchain.com. We've been a long-term partner to the cryptocurrency industry as one of the first wallets in the world with over 86 million people have signed up for our service. We've helped users in over 200 countries get introduced to crypto, but we really see our work as beginning. And um, there may be two to 300 million people in the world that own some cryptocurrency today. And we need to get that number into the billions. And so to do that, we're going to need to, need to add a lot of muscle to our organization across all of the functions that we have as an international um, large-scale business now. And so we make those, uh, we take that capital and make investments primarily in people. And uh, the people help us grow the product, improve the business, um, and add organizational uh, capacity so that we can achieve our mission of helping billions of people have a better tool set for doing things like sending, receiving, securing, and trading digital forms of wealth. And for us, our mission here is to build a more fair and equitable financial system using software. So we have a long way to go to achieving that vision. And I think it's honestly going to take another five to 10 years for us to attack that opportunity, which is why I partially want to bring in uh, more resources to do that, to help accelerate the opportunity set. Because you said you're spending a lot of this money to hire a lot of people. What are the key challenges of growing so quickly? Yeah, uh, hiring is a challenge that all small businesses, medium and big businesses have. And ultimately, you want to find um, you know, the best people in the world to help you on your mission um, that are passionate about the specific work. Um, there are many ways for people to earn an income and a job they may not ultimately care that much about. And sometimes in your career, you may have to do something you don't love in order to buy some time to get the opportunity to do something you will love. Uh, but as a business owner, 
every dollar you spend is so precious and you want to get as much of a return on that dollar invested as possible. That's a huge responsibility. So if you think about, um, you know, even just being uh, you know, a homeowner or if you buy something from a store, if it doesn't work the way you want, it's really frustrating. If you try to get something fixed in your house and uh, a vendor comes and they don't do a good job, it can be aggravating. And so when you hire people for your company, you want to find people that are both uh, equally passionate about the work and very capable of achieving things that are better at doing it than you would be. And so it's a monstrous effort to go through an extensive recruitment process and then properly onboard people and nurture that talent and uh, to be as uh, to ultimately have them achieve their potential. And so, um, you know, blockchain.com, we've had over 100,000 people apply for roles in the past 12 months to work for a company uh, that gives some of the world's best people uh, to help us work um, on this firm. And so we're lucky because uh, we get all kinds of um, candidates that are leaving some of the most you know, famous companies in the world, whether that's uh, large financial services firms or companies like Facebook and uh, you know Snapchat and others uh, that want to go work on the opportunity set here at blockchain.com because the challenges are very novel and the opportunity is very grand. And so that helps us a lot too. But for anyone who's recruiting um, out there, I mean, I think you got to find someone that's got value fit, someone that has um, a significant amount of uh, moral caliber and someone you can diligence and reference very well. And so one of the caveats and one of the things I always tell new teammates is, um, you know, one, if you've ever worked with someone that you would enthusiastically, you know, hire again, that's sort of like a good sort of internal bar for maybe that person could be a good candidate for a role at your company. And so um, that's sort of one of the ways I think about that. So you're hiring a lot of amazing people. You're working to, together to achieve these goals. And then you have these crazy cycles. And then you have these, these bear markets. And then you have to let people go. And recently, we have pretty much every company in, this, in, the, in the crypto space that had to let go at least 30% of their staff. What, what goes on in your mind when you have to let so many people go at once that e even people who are great and, and, and who are doing a really great job? Yeah, so the tech sector um, and the entire world economy is basically at the beginning of a recession. And so you, you have periods of time where the pie gets bigger and periods of time where the economic pie shrinks. And uh, on a macro level, uh, we're certainly in a period of time where the pie is shrinking. You have um, increased interest rates, which means that everyone needs to actually uh, earn more money in order just to pay, sort of keep their uh, their cost of living at the same rate as it was the previous year. This puts extraordinary pressures on companies. And the first things, one of the first things they do is try and change the composition of their cost structures. You need to make sure that you have a sustainable cost structure for the future market that you're entering in. And so whether it's Meta or, Fate or Apple or uh, Microsoft or Wall Street or, um, you know, most businesses right now are all in the process of changing the composition of their cost structures. Letting go of teammates is one of the hardest things a founder can ever do, especially considering what I just described as being such a colossal uh, effort and energy and soulful search to find the right people to work with you in the first place. Um, and ultimately, uh, you want to hope that you've built such a successful company uh, that anyone that has uh, spent time here from will quickly be hired by um, you know, a rival competitive or contemporary firm um, that is also seeking to, to bring on professionalized and highly experienced personnel. And um, you know, I think in our space and the crypto space, you've seen these sort of big um, you know, waves of adoption, which bring a huge amount of pressure, and then everyone's trying to expand their services, and then these periods of contraction as well. And uh, it's just in the crypto space, they happen a little bit faster than they do in the macro economy. And it's just something that companies in our space uh, have to get right sized. Let's talk about mental health, the cost of entrepreneurship, because it's something that a lot of people who start businesses don't even think about. How much of an impact does your entrepreneur life have on your mental health? Yeah, I know this is a really important theme for you, Kevin, um, and it, it should be something that is talked about more openly. Um, I think there's too much idolization of these grandiose characters, like they have some sort of superpower and it doesn't have consequences in their lives. Um, you know, they spend all this time working and uh, then they must have some secret recipe for doing it. And um, ultimately, uh, I think you have to have uh, a program that works uh, for you and, and it's really individualized. And so uh, this will be a little bit of an annoying answer because uh, I can talk about what works for me, uh, but 
what might work for you or what might work for your listeners may be a bit different. But uh, on an individual basis, um, it took me a long time to develop a healthy relationship with my work. And um, a lot of the times it's because uh, I was so overwhelmingly stressed out by the responsibility. I had trouble sleeping. Um, it was completely all-consuming, and uh, that has consequences. Uh, if you, uh, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be, uh, you know, able to rest. You're going to get, uh, you know, health consequences. You're going to have uh, challenges. Um, you know, basically, uh, be being motivated or making the right decisions because um, your judgment gets clouded, and so. Ultimately, um, you have to come up with a program that works uh, on a personal basis. And some of the things that uh, I've done over the past that helped me a lot um, are, you know, basically having a routine uh, that is uh, immediately helpful um, in the morning around uh, basically waking my body up, uh, doing some exercise, um, putting some healthy nutrition in it. These are sort of basic things that I need as building blocks. Other people, you know, approach com- this completely differently and it works for them too. Uh, you know, some people cold water therapy uh, or uh, taking their dogs for a walk. Uh, but I, I think ultimately waking up, taking a moment and expressing some gratitude for um, where you are in the world, is, uh, wherever you are, uh, is important. And then I do think that stressing your body out physically, there's something important about the relationship between straining um, your body in a positive way, creating some stress for it, and then approaching the rest of your day. And so um I would just say that uh, I've uh, come combined a variety of different things related to that, whether it's working out, running is a very personal passion of mine. Um, mm-hmm. I have enjoyed uh, long distance and endurance running for the better part of the last 15 years, finding a very methodical way um, to, uh, to spend time and process uh, the challenges in the world. And then also, um, I love cooking and uh, your nutrition is a very important component to how your biochemistry works. And so you've got to be thoughtful about the fuel you put in your body. One should be thoughtful about the food they put in their body. I know some people that can uh, eat three pizzas and code all night, but um, (laughs) uh, for me personally, I I can't do that anymore. So yeah, I think that the big lessons are you only get one body um, and uh, you, you know, it may take some time for the listeners, depending on where they are. Uh, in their uh, lives to take better care of themselves. But at some point, um, the catches up and whether that's sleep deprivation or, uh, you know, eating poorly or, you know, smoking or whatever it is, uh, you, you only have one body and uh, it'll start to tell you when things aren't going well and you better listen. So you're fa- so you're basically your your mental and physical health are your foundations and without that, nothing is going gonna, gonna to work. You can't get anything else done if you're uh, six feet under and, um, you know, you can't take any of this wealth with you once you die either. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, how you live your life, how you treat people around you, um, very, very important. And I do believe in some sort of basically a bank of karma to a certain extent um, is, is, is a real thing. You can create some of your enemies uh, if you're uh, an unjust and cruel person in the world comes back around. Have you ever felt like you would you were close to being six feet under? And if yes, <laughs> did you do, what did you do to 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 bounce back? And um, even, how how did you identify? Is it someone else? I mean, if this happened, it's someone else who kind of you know rang the bell. Like, how did it happen? Yeah, that's a good good question. Um, so on a personal level, I, I've had huge challenges um, sleeping, and uh, I have a sleeping condition that um, prevents me from basically resting, and I've had this for a long time. But eventually, uh, you know, I started, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs talk about being tired all the time. And I was like, yeah, me too. I'm really tired all the time. Um, and uh, I had a close friend uh, uh, who's a doctor, you know, mentioned some, uh, you know, common sleep challenges. I had a sleep study done and uh, I was able to resolve this issue on a health perspective. And I think people are very uncomfortable frequently talking about their weaknesses, whether they're physical or mental. And you got to find someone you can trust. Uh, to talk to you about those things. And so they're professionals for mental health, they're professionals for physical health, and they're experts. And there's a reason why, uh, because they can help identify and prescribe uh, improvements uh, and things that you can, can fix. And so that was another big one for me was actually fixing that. And uh, yeah, the, the big word of advice is, you know, it's super important to find some people in your life that know you for the long term, um, because they can identify patterns that are not obvious to new relationships that you have. And certain patterns that humans um, sort of reveal take a long time. Like, you know, if you were uh, show up uh, to uh, a happy hour 
you know, five minutes late, I probably wouldn't care. But if I noticed that you showed up late to things, you know, over the course of three or four months, I would know that was patterns. And there's a difference between identifying patterns in relationships that are short-term versus long-term. And one of the really important things is to have a strong support network, whether that's in friends and family or community or otherwise, uh, that you can lean on and talk to and be open with about the challenges you're having. Don't abuse those things either because uh, people don't have a lot of sympathy for someone that's constantly dumping their problems on other people. What would you tell an entrepreneur who is starting to feel really weird or really bad, but thinking the business is the priority, the business is the priority, and kind of like in denial, but not really realizing it and kind of knowing there's an issue, but thinking, ah, oh, this thing is going to sort itself on its own. And anyway, the business is a priority because without me, the business is going nowhere. Yeah, that's definitely a red flag um, and something uh, you need to uh, to be pretty serious about. And if um, and this is where you know the things that make you successful sometimes can also be your greatest demons. And uh, this bullheadedness, this ability to persevere, power through, that's going to help you sometimes. And uh, and as I said earlier, it may be necessary during certain periods of um, extreme weakness or vulnerability that you're going through as a company. Um, you're going to have to summon more energy and you're going to have to motivate those around you uh, by leading from the front. That also means that at some point you need to move out of wartime mode and go back into peacetime mode and repair your energy reserves um, and uh, also lift other leaders up around you um, and, and have them take on some of the burden of responsibility um, you know, while you uh, work on yourself too. And a lot of it's about setting that right example so that you know, one, you don't burn out, run out of motivation for working on the problem. And as soon as you do, the, the apparatus of all the leadership um, can really deteriorate. And so one of the really big challenges in uh, becoming a business leader is sort of cultivating your own leadership uh, style or signature. And in my case, uh, you know, I, I hope that what I've done is, you know, sort of practice being a good individual contributor at first, um, taking on specific tasks, um, showing others around that I'm capable of doing certain things. And then management is a completely different challenge. It's about getting those around you to perform to the highest degree of their potential, cultivating them, and, uh, and helping steer their careers in ways that are beneficial and ultimately helpful to the stake of the organization. And then leadership is almost kind of different from that, which is uh, sort of visionary setting, strategic alignment, uh, working across all levels of the organization, uh, and, and then basically you know, kind of crafting an idea for a world that doesn't exist yet, and then moving everybody toward that. And your personal signature on your leadership style can take a long time to develop, but a lot of it uh, ultimately comes down to how you can uh, influence and encourage those um, that you work with to do their very best work. And so, uh, hmm. and, and there's, it, it, it's going to be different for, for everybody. Uh, but again, the, the concept of practicing and, and, uh, is, a, is a great way to learn ultimately. But what are, what are a few alarm bells that people building companies should pay attention to when it comes to their mental health? Um, so I'm not a, specifically a mental health expert, but I think there's some obvious, um, things, you know, your, uh, your physical, um, uh, health is going to be a key indicator, a key signal. Um, you know, are you feeling, uh, you know, you know, consistently tired? Are you, and then other things like, are you snapping at people you wouldn't otherwise snap at? If your personal environment is literally a physical mess, it's a kind of a reflection of, uh, where your state of mind is too. And this is why members of the military consistently drill. The first thing you do in the morning is you make your bed. You get into a bed that's made and you have some continuity to the day. And you start off by the discipline of placing the things that you need where they're supposed to be so you can use them at the moment where you need to. And so that type of just sort of like physical organization is mimicked in your mind uh, so that you can recall information that you need, et cetera. And so... Little things like that um, you should see as like, you know, uh, little flags. And if you see enough of those things, you know, it's, a, it's time to, to maybe, um, you know, call in for some additional help. Don't be shy. And if anyone out there is feeling, uh, you know, like they don't have people to talk to, there are tons of resources, um, you know, volunteer organizations and more. And then, I mean, you should ultimately, hopefully, you know, have someone, uh, you know, in a close circle of friendship. Uh, that you should lean on a little bit because ultimately entrepreneurship can feel like this lonely crucible, but uh, entrepreneurs get this. And so go talk to some other entrepreneurs. There are meetups all over the world. 
Um, and that feeling of camaraderie helps a ton. And uh, trust me, you can learn so much from other entrepreneurs um, that are in the same space. And then don't make excuses for it. You got to call them out. Like the whole work yourself to death culture is stupid. If you're dead, you can't work on your project. No one's going to care. <laughs> it's just done. And so uh, you got you to gotta find people that can be there with you. Yeah, you'll be surprised how much just by opening up to these people that you think are so tough, they're actually going to open up too and you're really going to realize that it's just normal. Totally. Yep, they're all humans. <laughs> all humans. As an entrepreneur, you are naturally more inclined to take risks. What's your biggest failure that is not related to business? Oh, my biggest failure. I'm like, think of something uh, afterwards is, um, uh, during my response to this, but... Um, I used to invest some of my time uh, doing a few other things that I haven't done in a long time. So I, I used to really enjoy reading a lot. And um, one of the things when you work in a tech company and you spend all your time on a computer or on a phone is that you're really getting good at digesting short-form information. And uh, so you're reading texts and you're reading Slack messages and you're quickly summarizing an email and it's yes, no, and do this. And um, you know, that's a priority and you're shuffling all these little things around. But what's happened to me is that I am uh, sort of developed, um, uh, I haven't been able to, to concentrate on reading long form uh, content anymore. And uh, I find this very annoying because I used to find uh, reading um, you know, books to be very therapeutic, a great way to slow my brain down at the end of the day. Um, and uh, now the last thing I do is I set an alarm on my phone, which I'm also doing while I'm clearing notifications out and uh I've, I've found that to be problematic. So I don't know if this is the biggest failure yet, but it's, it's something I'm working on right now. Um, I was gifted a book uh, called Shogun, which is this amazing story about, um, you know, uh, explorer in Japan. And I tried to start reading this book three weeks ago and I got like 50 pages in and I just haven't been able to get back into it. And uh, it's a, just a small example to myself that like I'm spending too much time on this short form content ingestion. And I need a course correct. And so uh, I'm actively working on that right now. That's a big subject actually right now, especially with social media and the way all the content is being shown everywhere that a lot of people who used to love to read or take time um, can't do it anymore. They kind of develop a sort of ADHD that they didn't have before because because of the way everything is organized and the, the, the information is organized around uh, around us and I've been, I've been hearing so many people and successful people and famous people talk about that and saying, I just can't concentrate anymore. Yeah, I'm super aware of it right now. So I'm going to try and fight it. <laughs> we'll see if I'm successful. Well, I don't know. How can people listening to this podcast build resilience? How do you build resilience? Um, so one of the things... Uh, that I want to posit is that I read this statistic at some point, this should probably be kind of fact-checked, but something like 1% of people in their lifetimes run a marathon. And uh, in order to run a marathon, which is a toll on your body, you got to go out and you got to uh, start small and you build up your uh, physical capability to endure greater and greater durations of running. My point is that the physical challenge is a good way to also practice building mental resiliency. And then there's going to be mental resiliency you can apply um, in your entrepreneurial journey. But the physical bit is a good way for all people to relate to. They need to align to that objective. They need to break that objective down into smaller components. They need to go out in complete, um, ever-increasing uh, durations of, of a challenging effort and, um, and then go uh, feel the reward of that accumulated body of discipline. And uh, a challenge that I would put out there though, is that maybe running a marathon isn't actually all of that difficult. What's really difficult is running a marathon every single year for 30 years. And that discipline only comes by running the first marathon year one, and then get all over again. And this is a type of uh, resiliency um, one could try to cultivate uh, if one has plans to do very difficult things or are working in a sector that's extremely difficult for a long period of time. And this doesn't just apply to entrepreneurship. I think doctors have to do this. I think teachers have to do this. I think scientists that work in excruciatingly challenging uh, uh, 
dynamics uh, have to do this too. And so it's not just about the, I'm speaking more broadly about you know, developing mental fortitude and physical fortitude, but ultimately the practice of discipline, the gains you get are inc- you know, kind of grow incrementally, it's compounded. And so this yeah. is why um, developing these habits early on, especially you know, in your, in your 20s and then keeping that discipline into your 30s and further into your 40s and 50s is so critical. And uh, if you're, you know, and, and one of the things you should do is, is tell other people what your goals are and then tell them if you don't see me um, achieving some of these goals, um, you know, for my personal health, for my physical health, for my mental health, I need you to call me out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so important to me that uh, I've made this commitment. And um, you're going to have setbacks. You might have an injury. Uh, you might get sick and, and may not be able to to go to work or whatever for a few days. But then you got to mend yourself and you got to get back on the program and keep that discipline in place. I think the key point here, the key word is, um, is a compounding. Uh, yes. Or, or exactly. some people call it the 1% rule, get better 1% every day. It's it's like that in any field. Like people don't go from zero to a hundred in one day. They just go from zero to zero point one, then zero point two. But they just kept at it, and then and then something that would seem almost impossible to someone who never started is actually naturally almost easy to someone who's been doing it for a long time because they just compound and compound it. Whether on I'm meditating every day fifteen minutes, so I'm um, I'm increasing my tolerance to stress, or whether I'm getting a lot of punches. Uh, on a on a boxing ring or in the in the arena of entrepreneurship, I'm getting knocked down, but I'm getting back up on my feet. And then you just or in crypto, I'm investing, I'm getting completely destroyed. Then I'm back up. Like it's just like increasing this tolerance to to stress because you just uh, you just go for it and then you just learn and and compound every day. I think that's a very important lesson. And I mean, if we could teach a few more things earlier on in, in financial literacy, it would definitely be the power of compound interest. <laughs> but that concept applies to our mental and physical resiliency, um, and uh, and also the emotional benefits we gain by investing in uh, friendships and family. Absolutely, as well. Um, that that uh, that nurturing of uh, the support around us uh, plays incredible dividends longer term. If you're short term selfish, uh, you will experience the consequences of that uh, over the duration of your life. Absolutely. You run blockchain.com podcast. Yes, I why do. should be why should businesses and even people have a podcast? Yeah, so um, I really enjoy podcasting uh, personally because it's it's sort of this slower, more methodical way of approaching a conversation again. Um, and in the era of this short form content being rammed down everybody's throats via algorithmic delivery of ever increasing more dopamine hitting data points, um, it's a way of of having a discussion and conversation again. And uh, what's kind of funny to me is like, I never really listened to the radio, um, and uh, but I really enjoy podcasts for some reason. Um, and so uh, on the blockchain.com podcast, um, you know, we interview uh, everything from developers to the minds behind uh, the protocol uh, protocols themselves to entrepreneurs in the cryptocurrency space, to policymakers, to regulators and more, and uh, to have a, just a, a learning discussion. And for me, it's a great vehicle because... Um, I get to, to pick the brains of people that are deep in their subject matter, that are very clever, um, and uh, are also working to educate the blockchain community um, about what their passions are. So, um, you know, the same way that you've interest in uh, learning about entrepreneurship and mental health uh, in, in the crypto space, um, I do too, and uh, it's a fantastic format. And ultimately, um, you know, building an audience uh, is is important, but I use it as much um, to help create you know sort of storytelling content for blockchain comics. Um, we use it to to you know, broadly increase uh, the learning uh, across the community in crypto. So we see it as a responsibility, but also as a, as a fun thing to do uh, to learn more and increase your your mindset about what's going on in the world. What what are your favorite unexpected benefits of running a podcast? My favorite unexpected benefits. Well, you'll probably know this, but like the moment before you start and then after where you get goofy with the host or the guest you have. And like, sometimes it'll be like a parent that flies in the background of somewhere like, don't worry about that thing. It's like oh, back to normal or whatever. <laughs> um, and I, I think those moments are, are pretty good where you just also, you have some authenticity uh, with someone. Uh, and those moments are kind of special. 
um, especially with guests that you've you know, always wanted to sort of spend some time uh, discussing a topic with. You know, people can turn on and be very uh, good um, on a presentation and then different, um, you know, when the cameras aren't on. And so it's interesting when uh, that little, those little moments happen. But um, yeah, other than that, it was, uh, I think just the, it, you know, it opens up new uh, learning opportunities. And I'm a curious person. And so uh, I have to constantly sort of satiate um, that desire to, to understand more about um, the world I'm trying to live in. What's, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, Kevin, that's, that's a tough question. The best advice um, I've ever been given. I think I'll, I'll answer this with two, two things. There's a quote I always loved, uh, and it's sort, of, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a cliche quote, but I do think it holds partially true, especially in the spirit of entrepreneurship, which is uh, it, it sort of ends with this, like, we just never, ever, ever give up. And um, I think if you've got sort of... Yeah. Uh, that type of spirit and confidence. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to have a bad day once in a while. We're going to have setbacks, but um, we're going to persevere. We're going to practice building uh, resiliency and we're going to be relentless in the pursuit of our objectives um, to the extent that uh, we, we cultivate, um, you know, an approach, an approach to doing that. That one has always been a, uh, something I've held sort of um, true uh, as a piece of advice that's meaningful in my entrepreneurial journey specifically. And it's balanced against doing that in a way that you can, uh, in, a, in a healthy way, without um, you know, being a martyr to it. And then uh, second, I think you have to have an adaptive learning mindset. Uh, this is something that's been uh, painstakingly drilled into me uh, by mentors, is that there's a good chance that you don't know all the answers to things. And even sometimes your mentors, advisors, and leaders in the world will disappoint you. People you thought were, uh, had all the clairvoyance of, you know, uh, of some statesmen and they get things wrong. Um, and so you have to have, you know, a tolerant learning, uh, long-term learning, uh, perspective. And, uh, you know, I think those are probably the two things that together have been piece of, pieces of advice that help me, uh, get through it all. You can't fail if you, if you don't stop and, uh, you have to have an adaptive mindset. Yep. But what's something that you believe in that most people would not agree with? Um, you know, to be a little bit uh, on topic with my life's work, um, I think our generation, especially, and most people uh, younger than the generation of the boomers, are inheriting a world with some significant challenges in it. Um, we're inheriting institutions that are very old, that uh, were set up without any of our consent. Um, that exist to perpetuate power systems that benefit them. And uh, I think one of the most controversial ideas in the world is that we can build a better form of money. And uh, the relationship that people have with money is a very old one. Human beings um, have uh, used different technologies as a form of money since uh, the prehistoric era. That's why you find beads and the burial tombs in northern Scotland from the Middle East. Um, and so money is really this social construct that predates um, human written word. And you can think of it basically as a systems of norms or technologies that we use to facilitate the trading of wealth. And so uh, I think one of the biggest ideas in the world is to invent a better form of money, um, a type of money that's fit to purpose for the era and the technology of the uh, Internet that helps more people instantly send, receive, secure, trade, exchange wealth globally. And so this idea um, to me is no longer that controversial, but it is quite controversial um, in academic circles and policy circles and in the context of national uh, currencies. And so uh, we're still in a long-term uh, pivot socially around what, you know, if you could reinvent money and make it work for more people in the world and if you could have properties and advancements and features that made it more useful then the money that we are inheriting that is constantly being devalued and debased through economic stimulus and more, what would that look like? And so, um, you know, uh, to me, I've got some ideas for that. I think uh, Bitcoin and I think Ethereum and I think some of the other crypto protocols are really challenging uh, the mainstream consensus on what uh, money is, uh, is. And I think it provides an alternative that in many ways is, is far more, uh, you know, uh, 
far more efficient, uh, relies on sound principles, uh, treats everybody equally regardless of the circumstances of their birth, has a bunch of humanistic uh, traits that I, I think just make it a, a better way for us to exchange wealth. And so uh, that's probably still my most controversially held view, uh, even though many, many of your listeners may already agree with that. Uh, the vast majority of people in the world don't yet. And so we have a lot of work to do uh, to educate um, and teach people about financial literacy, financial sovereignty, and um, and also uh, you know demonstrate why the traditional financial system and many of the designs of currencies as they exist today uh, you know are are no longer uh, the best technology, the best social construct for the world that we're heading into. There's an amazing book called The Bitcoin Standard where that people can read. That, that talks about that. Yes, that is a good, good entry point for anyone who wants some long format, uh, dense content that will help you. <laughs> that we're not able to read anymore because it's too long. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if there was a summary or key takeaway that people should remember from today, what would it be? I think the summary, hopefully, is um, that entrepreneurship um, is... Uh, is an incredible path um, for getting some agency in your life, um, for uh, for creativity uh, to go uh, earn income in a way that allows you to, to craft uh, products and services uh, that help the world. And uh, you're not alone if you're on this journey. Um, there are so many support services. Uh, other entrepreneurs are, are out there that want to uh, help support you and root for you. Um, I'm the chairman and co-founder of an organization called skiesthelimit.org. It's a charity that specifically focuses on supporting first-time entrepreneurs, practice entrepreneurship, get matched with mentors and advisors, and even get access to small amounts of grant funding uh, to practice building their businesses of any type, not just technology companies or crypto companies. In fact, most of our um, community is, is just practicing building their first business of, of whatever they uh, want to do. And so, uh, in short... Um, you know, uh, hopefully all, uh, anyone that's feeling extremely stressed or worried about the state of the world, um, it does, it does get better. There are tougher times and then there are better times and, uh, building the mindset when things are tough, um, help you get through those challenges so that when, uh, things turn around, um, you can really take advantage of the opportunities. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Nick. Where can the audience find and connect with you? Thanks. Yeah, you'll find me anytime on uh, Twitter at Nick Carey, N-I-C-C-A-R-Y. That's probably the best place. Um, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with the community. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. Please smash the like button and give us your feedback in the comments. And I'll see you all in the next episode.